Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we have a really interesting podcast for you because we're talking about alternative birth plans and chances of infection and what those alternative birth plans really are all about. We've heard about them, but not everybody knows what they are. So if you are thinking of becoming pregnant or you are already a couple expecting a baby, this podcast is for you. Joining me is Dr. Dawn Nolt. She's a professor of pediatrics in the Division of Infectious Disease at Oregon Health and Science University School of Medicine. She's also, of course, a spokesperson for the the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Nolt, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Can you give us a little history of alternative birth plans? You know, and I told you off the air about a show called Call the Midwife, which is back in the 50s talking about midwives. Tell us about some of these plans and a little of the history, because some of them have been around a long time, yes? That's right. Thanks, Melanie, for having me. And this is a, a nice topic to talk about. The original intent of this report that I'm authoring is, or I have authored, is really to just look at the available evidence for these alternative plans because a lot of people have heard about them, they've been around for a while, but you know what, as pediatricians and frankly as some parents looking at these things, what is the evidence out there for risks and benefits to the birth parent, to the newborn, and really what do you have to watch out for if you're baby was exposed to this particular practice, what are things you need to tell your doctor in case your baby gets sick? So we describe in this report seven practices um, that really benefited, we hope, um, for reviewing the literature. And some of it has fairly good literature, but a lot, I have to confess, do not. Wow. So why don't we start by talking about them? There's a few kinds that you wanted to mention today, and we'll get into those risks and benefits that you mentioned, but tell us about those alternative birth plans that we're discussing here today. Oh, sure. And so I guess it starts out with what is the definition of alternative? And what we wanted to at least start with are those that perhaps are not in the usual hospital-based birth plan. So these are things perhaps like uh, water births, things called uh, lotus births, vaginal seeding, deferral of um, certain medical practices, and um, delayed bathing, and also eating the placenta, which, you know, is always an interesting topic to talk about. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I was reading that when I was doing my (laughs) research. And that one, you know, I mean, we've seen we've seen animals do that. We've seen cows do that. Why don't you kind of start with that one so that we can sure get rid of it, push, push it off to the side a bit? But what is that really all about? I mean, I was I was watching a TikTok where a cow was doing that, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, mammals, <laughs> Melanie, mammals have done that, and it's really more the idea to keep the birthing area clean. You can imagine if someone just gave, I'm sorry, if an animal just gave birth, that signals to predators that there are uh, vulnerable babies around. And so the mother would want to sort of clean up the evidence and that's how the um, that placenta and the afterbirth is consumed. But what we're 
hearing is that people feel the placenta is a source of nutrition, perhaps, for the mother and could replete certain um, iron stores. It could make uh, postpartum depression uh, less severe, maybe increases lactation. But Melanie, there, there's very little evidence that it does any of these medical benefits. Yes. So, I mean, I, I think that that's one of those ones that, you know, you kind of hear about. I've never actually met anybody that's even really looked into that one. So I think we can probably move along. Why don't you tell us about some of the more common ones like water birth? That seems to be one that people, I mean, they even talk about it on TV, little baby pool in the house. Tell us about water birth. Sure. So water births are really um, the idea of the birth parent giving uh, birth or having the delivery in a tub of water. And it may seem more comfortable for the birth parent. It may seem that it would be an easier transition for the baby to come from the womb into this warm bath of liquid. But really the evidence only shows that it might improve pain in the early parts of labor, but following that, there is very little benefit to the mom or the baby. And to be quite honest, Melanie, there is quite a bit of risk to the baby in terms of infection. But it is something that is practiced in more and more um, hospitals and birthing facilities. And now, while we're talking about these alternative birth plans, can you speak just a little bit about the difference between some of the home births that we're discussing and in the hospital, as a pediatrician, when you, you know, when you're telling parents who are considering some of these alternatives, what do you tell them? Well, interestingly, I'm an infectious disease doctor, so I'm a little removed from that. I get involved when the uh, baby may come in with an illness, and then I have to go back and see what has been done. But really, we want to make sure that something like birth, um, water births, we talk about that it's, as we said, it's very little evidence outside of maybe decreasing pain in the early parts of delivery. If they want to pursue it, we want to make sure the mom is able to get out of the tub quickly if she or her uh, baby might start becoming um, affected. So we want to make sure the mother has good mo mobility. We also want to make sure that as an um, infection control standpoint, that those tubs are kept clean, that the water doesn't sit around for hours and hours before the uh, mother gets in there because there are water bacteria. And so we want to outline what benefits there are for the mom and what benefits there are for the baby. And for water births, to be quite honest, um, Melanie, there's very little. This is so great what, that we're really going over these and it's such quality, trustworthy information from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Now, tell us about some of the others that you've heard about and that you know you were writing about in your report. Sure. And so it, uh, thank you so much for um, saying we really did uh, years and years of looking at whatever was available out there. And the one thing that's been interesting that I wanted to point out was this idea of vaginal seeding or Melody, some people call it a bacterial baptism. <laughs> and um, this is the idea that, um, you know, could we give the baby who's born by C-section a little leg up um, in terms of their immune system, in terms of decreasing perhaps future risk of allergies and diabetes and those sorts of things. And so um, we know that the bacteria in babies when they're first born has a lot of sources, including bacteria from the birth parent's vagina. 
but if you are born by C-section, you don't get that sort of bacteria. And could it be that this is why C-section babies, there is a link that maybe they have problems with allergies or other, um, other problems as they get older. So vaginal seeding or this idea of bacterial baptism is putting a little bit of gauze inside the birth parent's vagina for about an hour to let it soak up some bacteria. Then it's removed, the baby gets delivered by C-section, and within a few minutes of that birth, someone, oftentimes it's a father, will take that swab and um, brush the baby's face, eyes, nose, mouth, and all over the body to sort of inoculate that baby and to try to at least replicate as much as possible the types of bacteria coating this baby as if the baby was born vaginally. Wow. Um. <laughs> are you are you are you just trying to like swallow and just kind of make I'm sure how you're going to respond? Say at this point. So tell me about your reports, Doctor Noel. When you are reporting on these things and and you're doing this research, what do you find with something like that? So what we look at is that there's all kinds of things out there, right? It's just like in the media, there's all sorts of quality, um, different levels of quality. And what we wanted to look at was, were any studies done? Like, was there a study that was done with vaginal seeding and without vaginal seeding and then following these babies, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down? Or were these um, perhaps uh, things that were published, but it was really just a survey. So getting back to sort of like eating your placenta, people saying, oh, well, it really improves my postpartum mood. It really encouraged and, and my milk supply. But these were surveys that were done by people who wanted to report it. And there wasn't really a control in terms of people who didn't and measuring, let's say, their milk production. So this report really tried to show what medical evidence was out there, but also pulling in what people may have heard, and then hopefully giving a balance to expectant parents about what are some things we want to do if you are going to go into some alternative birth plans. Before we get into any others that you'd like to mention, for parents to be listening, to whom do they consult? about these practices. Is this something, you know, because we always look for our pediatrician before the baby's born, or her OB-GYN, who is it that they consult about these practices to get that information directly from their doctor? Absolutely, Melanie, and thank you for putting the plug in. A family, a parent should really look to a trusted medical provider. And for the birth parent, it would be um, the OB, um, perhaps the, also the midwife, if they're going that route, um, and to really talk through what is out there, what is the purpose that the birth parent may want in terms of this practice, and see whether or not that's really what's going to achieve um, that goal, and really talking to the pediatrician about what's out there in terms of benefits, because the pediatrician follows these kids for the next 18 years. Um, is this something that at birth is really going to affect the next 18 years of their life? And it's unlikely that's going to happen. Are there any others that you would like to mention that you have done research on or that you talk about in your paper? So let me kind of go through my list. There are seven of them, but the, uh, the four that are perhaps a little more salacious, Melanie, is um, uh, what we already talked about with is um, water births and vaginal seeding, uh, 
placental consumption. And the other one is what's called lotus births, or the idea that you don't cut the cord right at delivery, but let it sort of dry up and fall off in a quote-unquote natural way at about three to 10 days of life. And that one, Melanie, is really the idea that somehow there, with cutting the cord at birth, it's a violent separation between the baby and this placenta, which some people think of as a spiritual entity. But really, you know, if you have this placenta and the cord sitting next to that baby for the next week or so, if you don't take care of it that increases tissue, the risk of infection, totally. right? That's right. It's basically, if I may say so, rotting flesh next to your baby. And it's right next to the, the mother. Right has next to, like, to the baby. It's, mm-hmm. still, it's still coming out. I mean, you're just connecting. You see, yeah, you see pictures of the baby being held and then this this placenta being, um, I don't know, clothed in some sort of um, uh, cl- cloth. And, um, you know, it smells. And it really does um, cause a risk of infection. There are reports of baby becoming very ill because of that rotting necrotic flesh is really teeming with bacteria and can make its way up to the baby. And so the idea of trying to have a nonviolent way to separate the baby from the placenta, you have to realize the placenta is a source of, of really harmful bacteria. So the benefit and risks are really um, not there and that that placenta should be, and the cord should be cut as soon as possible. Certainly. Wow. This is so interesting. I have done so many of these, Dr. Nolt, and I have never done a podcast on these topics. So where can people learn more about ways to improve the birth experience? Because I have to tell you, as a mother of two, 22 and 19 at this point, that was like the best days of my life. But I was lucky because back then I had 12 people in the room. We were drinking champagne and taking videos and everyone I loved was in there. <laughs> oh, they love it. I know they want to like, you know, it's a joyful, really the birth so is a joyful, joyful um, experience. And we want to make sure that we celebrate it, not only between the birth parent and the baby, but with all, everyone around us. But we really still just have to start because this is, in essence, a medical, a health practice, we have to make sure we consult with the people who are important to us in our health care, which is for the mom, um, her OB, um, her, her midwife, whoever is helping with the delivery, who's a medical professional, and also with, with the uh, pediatrician. Certainly, you can look at social media, Melanie. We know that. We can talk to our friends and families who've been through um, birth. But really always, always make sure that you take into um, high consideration discussions with your medical professional. I think that's the best advice is to discuss this with your obstetrician, gynecologist, or your midwife, whichever route you're choosing. You can also find more of this information at healthychildren.org and look up alternative birth practices and what you should know about them because this is authored by Dr. Dawn Nolt and it is really excellent information. This was so informative, 
really educational, Dr. Nolt. Thank you so much for joining us today. And you've been listening to Healthy Children, where all of our expert guests are provided by the American Academy of Pediatrics in conjunction with their consumer website, healthychildren.org. You can listen on Google Podcast and Stitcher and TuneIn, but we want you to listen at RadioMD.com. So for RadioMD, the American Academy of Pediatrics, I'm Melanie Cole. Stay well.